Hello and welcome to the How Dentists Get Paid podcast. I'm your host, Brandon. And in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the changing demographics of dentistry. While dentistry has a truly noble mission to care for the oral health of those in our communities, it is still a business, so it can be looked at through an economic and financial lens. In the past couple episodes, I focused a lot on tech in dentistry and how things like artificial intelligence and robotics will affect the field and the individual dentist's bottom line profit. This was a natural starting place for me as a former software engineer, but it's certainly not all there is to talk about regarding how the economics of dentistry are changing. As with any business in any market, there's supply and there's demand. In the case of dentistry's labor market, we have dentists who are licensed to perform dentistry on one side and patients who need dental care on the other side. But dig a little deeper and these two factors become much more complex. For one, the gender makeup of dentists is shifting slowly but surely toward 50% male and 50% female from almost 100% male not too long ago, a couple decades ago. So taking into account work preferences of the average woman, namely fewer hours per week worked on average, that tells us the nature of the dentist labor workforce is changing because the makeup and the behaviors of those people in the workforce are changing themselves. On the other side, with patients who require dental care, consumer behaviors are changing as well. People require more dental care now than ever before, as we realize how intimately linked oral health is to other physiological issues. So as both supply of dental labor and demand for it fluctuate in different ways, the economics of dentistry change, So let's take a look at how demographic change in dentistry affects how dentists get paid. The makeup of the dentist workforce has changed in recent years. On average, dentists are older, waiting longer to retire, and they're more likely to be female. The former change can likely be explained as a response to the 2008 financial crisis, during which dentist busyness levels, not business levels, but busyness levels, and net income dropped dramatically. Let's dig into that, okay? According to the ADA, general dentists saw average incomes rise steadily from around 125K in 1981 to a peak of about 200K before the 2008 Great Recession. That recession saw disposable incomes across the country drop dramatically, which caused Americans to cut back on things like dental care. This resulted in a sharp drop in average income of dentists. I probably don't need to tell this to you guys because you presumably experienced this firsthand. In fact, if you do have firsthand accounts of what your dental office was like during the recession, let me know at brandon at howdentistsgetpaid.com. But according to the data from the ADA, average salaries continued to fall even after 2008 for both general dentists and specialists, only beginning to pick up in 2014, and still not recovering to pre-recession levels even by 2017. So it seems to me the phenomenon of dentists retiring later is explained by dentists at the tail end of their careers needing to continue working to make up for relatively lower incomes. But the aging dentist workforce isn't just explained by a later age of retirement, I don't think. Looking at more ADA data of age distribution of dentists for the past two decades, I notice a big change. In 2001, 75% of dentists were under 55 years old, and 25% above that age, obviously. In 2018, though, the proportion of dentists below the age of 55 dropped from 75% to 60%. 
This is explained by an almost doubling of the 65 and older age group and a 22% increase in the 55 to 64 age group. So I think this reflects not just the tendency of dentists now to retire later, but also the aging of the U.S. population as a whole. We are becoming less like a pyramid with a lot of young people and a few old people and more like a column. An equal amount of young people and older people because of things like, you know, better health care, etc. So what is the practical effect of this aging on the dentist workforce? Okay, older dentists work fewer hours. Whether it's because your back begins to ache after decades of bending over, or you just want to spend more time with family or with other interests, or you've hired an associate to share the patient load, I don't know. But that's what the data tells us. If dentists are getting older on average and older dentists work fewer hours, then the labor output of dentists as a whole should be effectively decreasing. This should mean less competition overall in dentistry because holding demand for dental care constant, supply is lowered. Though it's not always that simple, and we'll talk about the other side of the equation, about demand, in a bit. Now, the other big change is that the dentist workforce is becoming vastly more female. From 2001 to 2018, the proportion of female dentists increased 100%, from 16 out of every 100 dentists to 32 the change is about an increase of 1% every year. And by that calculation, women should make up 50% of the dentist workforce by 2040. Now, this isn't just significant because we're you know, breaking down institutional barriers for women in dentistry and working towards gender parity. It's also economically significant because women statistically work fewer hours as dentists, with the most likely explanation being the responsibility and or preference to spend more time with children. There are some unknowns here. The first that comes to my mind is the tendency to work fewer hours explained by desire to spend more time with family. That may not persist as a new generation of dentists come into prominence. Women as a whole are working longer hours and focusing more intensely on their careers. This is especially true of educated professional women. There's also not an insignificant likelihood that some sort of universal childcare could be established in the coming years at a federal level. That sort of program could completely eliminate or work towards eliminating the gap in hours worked between men and women everywhere, including in dentistry. That's an example of how policy could cause enormous changes in our economy at every level and in dentistry. I may do an episode on the impacts of potential policy proposals that are floating around right now in the ether in the run-up to the 2020 election, so we'll see. It would be nonpartisan, of course, just examining the proposals and the potential, you know, positives, negatives, and for the different stakeholders. So anyway, if our dentist workforce is becoming older and more female, and those two things both suggest fewer hours per week worked, does that mean there are effectively fewer dentists today than 20 years ago in terms of hours worked? Yes and no, but really no. Yes, because these two factors do require us to adjust a calculation of dentist full-time equivalents downward. We can't just say, there used to be 10,000 dentists, now there are 15,000 dentists, so there are 50% more. We do have to adjust downward, and studies by the ADA do do that. But no, because the total supply of dentists is increasing, thanks to the opening of new dental schools and huge efforts by states to increase access to dental care in underserved areas. In my state of North Carolina, for example, 
ECU, East Carolina University School of Dental Medicine, opened up earlier in the decade, I think in 2011, to increase the number of new dental grads and increase access to care. The school has seen huge success in meeting their mission, and, and it's an additional 50 new dentists every year in North Carolina. An ADA study looking at the supply of dentists in the next two decades found it is projected to increase 4.5%. But after accounting for age and gender composition, which we just talked about, the study adjusted that number downward to 3.5%. And that study also performed another downward adjustment for patient visits. This is the demand side of the equation. So demand is going up. So taking into account the fact that more people today need more dental care, and there's also an increased demand for cosmetic stuff, Increasing the demand side of the equation, the final number presented by the ADA was a projected increase of 2.6% in full-time dentist equivalents per capita by 2037. So that means the ratio of dentists to patients will increase effectively, you know, with full-time dentist equivalents, that's the language that was used, by 2.6% in about 20 years. That may mean, and probably does mean, increased access to care, but it also means dentists may face more competition for patients. Zoom in a little closer, however, and you'll notice that 2.6% is not representative of many places in the U.S. An average is just that. There's no talk of, you know, standard deviation or range. There's that funny saying, uh, which is, you know how dumb the average person is? Okay, well, half of the population is dumber than that. By definition, that's what an average is, and half is smarter. So while the total U.S. population growth is about 0.7% annually right now, certain states have growth rates double that, and many cities in those states have growth rates 10 times that. In my home state, in the city of Apex, which is a suburb of Raleigh, the city grew 6.8% last year. That is incredibly high growth, driven by a strong economy, and also in no small part, I'm sure, by an abundance of excellent research institutions and universities. Um, actually kind of an interesting aside, uh, I'm pre-dental, right? So I'm maximum or rather minimum five years away from being a practicing dentist. Hopefully if I get in, you know, this year and then I start next year and that's four years. Um, and you know, when I look at places that I might want to practice, I've pretty much settled on North Carolina, but, um, I've looked at all across the nation and some things I had in my mind as criteria. Um, I was pretty much looking only at state capitals with enormous research universities. Um, And the state capital, what that provides is uh, a huge employer, which is the state government. So a lot of jobs that are effectively recession-proof. So there's always going to be a base of people, you know, that are not going to lose their jobs in a recession and kind of that area is cushioned. And the research activity is always a stimulus for economic growth. Um, And that's just kind of an aside that a lot of growth is happening in places like this, uh, you know, in the research triangle, Raleigh, Austin is absolutely exploding. And, you know, you've got University of Texas, and that's also a state capital, Columbus, uh, Boise, I think Boise's the capital of Idaho. Um, and, And that's representative of really the asymmetric growth of our country. And it really does affect Uh, the demographics, obviously, and it does affect the economics of dentistry. And this gets at what I want to talk about next, and that is the geographic component of demographic change. Our population distribution has been and is shifting massively, 
with Americans moving away from rural areas and to regional cities. On both sides of that shift, in rural areas and in cities, there are profound consequences for the economics of dentistry, and not forgetting, of course, the people in those areas in need of dental care. Okay, at this point, you've heard me say this a few times, but I cannot stress it enough. Our country is changing. The demographics of our country are changing. For a long time, the country has been urbanizing. With Americans as a whole moving from rural and ex-urban areas to urban and suburban areas. The primary driver of this, and I kind of talked about it a little bit before, it's very simple. People follow the jobs. The most recent subtrend, actually, that I think is really interesting is the explosive growth of so-called secondary cities in the U.S. and the plateau of superstar cities like New York and San Francisco. Cities like Austin, Denver, Charlotte, Raleigh, Omaha, they've grown almost 10% in the five years from 2012 to 2017. The significance of all this for dentists is that distribution of our population drives saturation in certain coastal cities and states leading to sometimes drastically lower earning potential. So I mentioned what I think is the primary driver of this population distribution change, and that's people moving from rural and exurban areas to suburban and urban areas. But actually, most of the growth recently has been in suburban areas, which balance availability of jobs with affordability and space. And this is just interesting info. But if the sole reason for all this change is jobs and earnings, then why are dentists so much more likely to practice in saturated areas, you know, hence making them saturated, where they earn less than if they practiced in less populated areas or less saturated areas? That points, to me at least, it points to something other than jobs or money. After doing the research, here's my take with an added personal perspective, you know, as a 25-year-old, right on the cusp between the millennial generation and Gen Z. The first thing I want to point out is that Urban living is tremendously glorified in youth culture. To live and work in New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, all these, you know, Los Angeles, it's the ultimate status symbol. You know, you graduate from high school, you go to college somewhere cool, and then somebody sees on Snapchat or Instagram the beautiful skyline. And with Instagram and Snapchat, we have multiple points each day where we can share images of these skylines and creative street food, you know, whatever else. When I graduated from college, I know, I only wanted to work in a handful of cities. Now, after working in New York for about a year, you know, taking the subways, all that, I'd had enough of the crowds, the high cost of living, the lack of space, and for me at least, the overall low quality of life. So I moved out. And actually, my experience is reflected in recent data, showing some of the largest cities in the nation actually lost population in recent years, like I just mentioned. The Brookings Institution study I'm looking at right now shows me New York and Chicago both had negative growth rates these past two years, while Dallas dropped from almost 1.5% growth down to nearly 0% in three years. But even though I fled New York, I still ended up in another city in Greensboro, North Carolina, chiefly because that's where the university where I came to take my pre-dental post-bac courses was. And that's where, you know, a lot of universities are. And even if they're in areas that are actually not so populated, they have a tendency to stimulate that growth and then people move towards it. So really, because of the nature of where I am, I was always going to end up in a city. But more than that, what I like about cities personally is that there are people who think like me. 
I like that there are vegan restaurants and meetups I can go to. I like eating at a Korean place one weekend, an Ethiopian place the next weekend, a vegan brunch meetup on an animal sanctuary after that. And that's actually true. I actually go to this uh, uh, bi-monthly vegan brunch meetup, and it is on an animal sanctuary. And actually, the the couple who owns it and runs it, one of them is a professor at at UNCG, um, where I you know took my postback courses. So I, I like that there are book clubs I can go to, movie theaters showing limited release independent movies. What's really keeping me near a city, I, I'm realizing, is that at the highest level, I'm culturally urban. And really, the culture of the U.S. has dramatically bifurcated. Now, when you consider where young, educated new dentists are going to want to live, think of where all of their friends live. Think of the taste in entertainment and leisure that they're likely going to have. As we consider also more educated and higher-earning people, like dentists, the signs all point to urban areas or suburban areas. So cultural preferences, I think, are the first big reason for oversaturation in certain areas of the country. And, you know, obviously that oversaturation leading to a rising corporate dentistry, less leverage over insurance companies, and overall lower earning potential. All right, so I didn't plan on this, but I'm going to split this episode into two parts and end here. Because I want to make sure I don't go too long and bore you guys. Uh, I try to target 20-25 minute episodes. The next episode is going to be a direct continuation of this. And I'll begin with the rest of the... There's three factors I think underlie the oversaturation of dentists in urban areas and explain it. And I just finished talking about the first one. I'll also talk more about the differences in economic potential for dentists in rural versus urban areas and the reasons behind it. Okay, so thank you so much for listening. See you in two weeks. I do want to thank eAssist for allowing this podcast to happen, for sponsoring the podcast. Um, if you're looking for outsourced dental billing, eAssist is the number one outsourced dental billing provider. You can increase your income by outsourcing your billing, taking the pain out of getting paid. There are no software changes needed. They don't get paid unless you get paid. They help your staff. They don't replace your staff. And there are no long-term contracts. It's less stress, more peace of mind. You know, I work with them. They help with this podcast. Uh, they're all great people. And I can guarantee you're not going to regret working with them yourself. Go to dentalbilling.com for more info. Thank you.